Welcome to the OA Light Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files. Forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Mary Pat. I'm Mary Pat. I'm a compulsive eater and a bulimic. And I'm grateful to... Susan uh, for asking me to speak and um, I'm just so grateful to be here tonight um, with Colleen taking 14 years oh my gosh Um, it's just huge Uh, it just means a lot to me Colleen and I were neighbors for several years and it was a whole God shot thing to me getting that apartment you know but anyway it's just really cool to be walking this path and happy birthday and welcome to the newcomers Um, and it's great to see just people I haven't seen in a while I just like just like wow so anyway um just a, a little of the story so I it's just easy for me to just talk about age and numbers rather than years but um I'm 50 ah, I just I can hardly believe I'm that number I if, if people on on the podcast or this could see me I don't think you'd think I was 50 <laughs> 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 that terrible I just, I'm just like, how did, I, how did this happen? How did, because I still feel emotionally like not 50. So anyway, um, but it's been a bit. Thank you. It's been a bit. Uh, I had a whole thing about it. You know, they talk about midlife crises. Anyway, I came into program when I was 27, and um, what preceded that in terms of my eating uh, issues. Um, so. You know, I grew. I was a, a thin kid. I was always tall. I was active, but I loved sugar. When I look back at my my eating history, I had a, a huge love of sugar. Like um, when I was five, uh, I, we would go to my grandparents' house, and I would go right to the candy jar, and uh, it was like you know, it wasn't about people at all. Even then, you know, it was like just about candy and to the point that like my grandmother actually said something to my mother and like her feelings were hurt that Mary Pat just goes right to the candy jar instead of coming to say hi and I was like (laughs) right and um like so that was that and then like again now my dad um I have alcoholism in the family and uh I through the years um I feel that uh, I seem to hear a lot of overeaters have Parents have it. it it's, there's something about that ism. Like there's no mistake that um, the big book works for all of us. And um, uh, and my sister and father were obese. And um, you know, so it's the whole. There's a lot of isms in my family. And um, for me, uh, when I when food began, I used food for emotional to to, to deal with life. Um, and, and the discomfort I felt with living, I, I remember distinctly around age 15. And um, it's like that was when I just was having those feelings of the odd man out. And I was never going to get the guy in high school. I was never going to have the boyfriend. And and um, food became a comfort. And I would be upset or bored or whatever, and I would go to food. And um, then I made a decision a weird decision, but nevertheless, what, you know, this is my, my disease thinking makes decisions like this, but I decided I'm five, nine. And, uh, because of that, I decided that, uh, that's on the tall side for women ish. And, uh, because of that, I decided that I could not 
have any weight, if I had any, if I was overweight, um, I would never get a boyfriend because it was always about getting a boyfriend. And short girls could be fat because they were cute, but being tall, I would look like an Amazon. And so, <laughs> so for that reason, um, that somewhere in high school, in, in the desperate because my compulsive eating was growing. The, um, you know, the big book talks about the allergy of the body and the um, obsession. And um, and so I, it was just I was going more to food, even though I wanted to, you know, lose weight. And um, and uh, as a control mechanism, somebody taught me about vomiting. Now, I never thought uh, I would ever talk about that publicly. I never thought I would admit that because, it, for me, it was the most shameful, shameful, shameful thing uh, I'd ever done in my life. And um, what's weird is, it, it, well, it took on a life of its own. Um, and... Uh, just in the college, I just remember, I kept thinking I would outgrow it. I kept thinking I could control it. And, um, you know, and, and the big book talks about, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about, um, you know, in, in the earlier chapters, uh, you know, most of us thought we could, you know, if you think you can control, they say drinking, but for me, I'd change the word eating. And if you think you can control your eating, you, you know, most of us something about a year there's something about you couldn't go a year and like by golly that was me it's like I could sometimes uh keep it together or diet or or control not you know vomit or seem to seem to control it you know but then by golly like it a year was like the longest and then boom I was back in the food and binging and, and then for me once I was binging and your know, trips to the um candy machines at college and trips to, you know, Frisch's Big Boy, when people were doing other things, you know, I was in, into the food, and um, I worked at McDonald's, you know, one year, I had to make amends, they were on my, my amends list, because you were given, <laughs> you were given, like, one little meal, you know, on your break, and I would, I would, like, walk by the, <laughs> the rows where there's stacks of cheesecakes, I'd shove them in my pocket, I would eat them in the hallway, you know, when no one was looking, it was all the secret of eating, secret of eating, and, um, you know, I don't think people would, uh, because I was being bulimic, and, you know, it, the weight didn't, the, the vast quantities that I was eating didn't show on my person, and I felt like, like that was just part of the big lie, you know, the big fraud and lie that um, was part of my disease. And um, and I remember in college, um, people being like, oh, you're going to the rec center. Uh, you know, I was swimming 80 laps. It was all like this, I don't know if you guys get it, but the, this lash, it was a whip. It was not like, oh, I'm going to exercise because it's healthy and good for me. No, it was the punishment because I was eating and, you know, massive quantities of food. And it was a, what I had to do. It was this punishment thing. And I just remember feeling so sad when this person, like, complimented me and said, God, it's so cool that you, you do aerobics and you do all that stuff. And... Oh, just the sinking feeling inside, like if he only knew, if he only knew. And, um, you know, and so that's, you know, so much of the, that the disease was trying to put on a happy face to the world, and I've got it together, and I'm the A student in college, and I work at the TV station, and then in, you know, this secret life of 
the binging and the purging and and just that I couldn't control that food. It was just crazy to me. And um, I went to therapy in college. And, you know, I remember you know, a therapist when I was graduating saying, oh, you're, you're set. You know, you, you, you got it now. And, and just the terror inside, it was like, what I thought is like, I have a living problem. I, life scares me. And, um, you know, it just was, was too big to handle on my own. And um, I had heard my dad, I think, tried A, or my family kind of fell apart. They got divorced when I was 19. So I had a very negative concept of the, of AA, of Alcoholics Anonymous and what an, an anonymous program was. Plus, I was all into like, oh, the power of your subconscious mind and, you know, I'm powerful and, you know, and I, we just go after our dreams and we make it happen. And, uh, you know, so I thought I could do it. And, um, and it was just... AA was for weaklings, you know, it was this really this nasty opinion. And uh, so that made it difficult for me to want to try OA. And uh, so, um, and then I graduated, I moved to California. I, I grew up in Ohio, um, went to school in Ohio. And uh, when I moved here after college, I was like, okay, California, clean start. I'm never going to taint a California toilet with bulimia. Uh, all right. And uh, that lasted three weeks, three weeks before. You know, it, it wasn't so conscious, but whatever it was, I found myself in the food again. And, you know, multiple trips to a fast food places, multiple trips to a 7-Eleven, and just on this the merry-go-round of food. And... Uh, so somewhere along the way, I had decided that um, 27 would be the age that I would grow out of all this. And so when I hit 27, and I was, and I still had this thing, and I think by this time, even my methods of controlling the food, it was just I was hitting on a new level that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. It's like even the bulimia wasn't working my. It just, I couldn't control it. And I just was at such a bottom. And my Eskimo that got me to try OA was, um, I was working at this woman's house and <laughs> she had a four-year-old. And when I, I was temping or something like that, while I was trying to write the script, that was my big aspiration. And um, she initially said, oh, Mary Pat, you know, you can help yourself to anything you want in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, make yourself at home. Okay. So um, <laughs> I did. And, you know, and I did the weird things where if uh, she wasn't around a lot, and so if I felt like I ate too much of something, then I'd go buy it at the grocery store and try and take down, you know, just all these weird games with food. And um, one day she had made cookies for her son, and uh, I had eaten a lot of them. I mean, I don't know, 12, 14. I mean, you know, that was like a serving for me. And uh, she said, Mary Pat, you know, I have to explain to my son why there's not enough cookies to take to his class. And I just felt like, you know, uh, and she's like, 
the kitchen is off limits to you now. I was so mortified. But this is, I don't know, again, I don't know what her deal is because I didn't see her like around the rooms much after. But she told me, she's like, you know, you'd be perfect for OA. You should give it a try. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, ordinarily I would have been like wanting to smack her or something. But I was just willing. It was the right time. And she gave me the number of a person to call. And I called that person, and they took me to a meeting. And it was in North Hollywood on a, I think it was one of the Tuesday night meetings there. And what they said at that meeting was, give it six meetings. And I thought, you know, that's reasonable. I could do that. You know, give it six meetings before I decide if it's something I want to do. And then, sure enough, at the meetings, um, it was just like what um, our birthday girl tonight said. Um, you know, that people... People at these meetings that I would go to, I started going to the 7.30 Unitarian Church meeting. They had one every um, morning, on every day, weekdays at least. And um, But if I was only, you know, I was only willing to, I was like a busy person. That's what I consider. I'm a busy person. I have a script to write. And um, I don't have time for this, you know. And... Um, but when I went to those meetings and saw the people who had that light in their eye and they had that something, they had physical recovery. Um, and, you know, I, sorry if that gets scattered all over the place, but so the numbers, I currently weigh 135 and my top weight was 170. Um, my top weight when I came into program was 155 because my first abstinence was to stop throwing up. Um, you know, it's that's just surrender. What surrender was throwing my uh, my ideas out and throwing. You know, I wanted to control the way I lost weight, the way it looked, whatever, and I had to throw that all away. And so the first step step for me was to stop losing the food when I ate mass quantities. And so that's where I, I gained weight. And then um, about eight months into my abstinence um, in, into program. I started, um, I picked a sponsor, she had lost 80 pounds, and that's what spoke to me at that time, you know. That's all that mattered in my life. And, uh, but, she, you know, I learned how to eat. Um, I learned how to eat three meals a day. Like, that was such a, a strange concept, but let me jump back just so, um, so, you know, going to these meetings, what I heard, and I, I very clearly remember, you know, I'm sitting in that morning meeting, and sh- the people who had that je ne sais quoi, that, that light, that, that, at, that thing that was so attractive from the inside, they all said they went to a meeting every day in the beginning. I was like, oh, no, not every day. You know, they got a sponsor. They started working the steps. Um, they got commitments at meetings. And um, it was like such bad news to me, but I, that's how my willingness grew. I just was like, well, okay, you like, look, if that's what they had to do. You know, people say, if you want what they have, do what they did. And that's, that was the deal. And so I wanted what they had, and so I just thought, okay, if they were willing to, you know, I'll give it a try. And part of me also, it's like if I was going to prove that OA wouldn't work for me, I kind of wanted to... Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a scientific mind sometimes. I wanted to, you know, do the experiment well and just really, you know, throw what I could at it. And, um, you know, because then I would know if it didn't work. But um, I remember, um, so 
the thing about, you know, eating, yeah, my idea before program was don't eat anything in the morning, hold out as long as you can, um, and then by 10 a.m., you know, hold out, and then I'm binging, right? And so when they were like three meals a day, it was like, no, but I'll gain weight, I'll get fat, no. And, um, but it's like, you, I did what they did, you know, it was, I look back and I just remember it was so scary to do these things. Um, it was so scary to take the direction and, um, and it really was a surrender, you know, it, for me it's so much about the surrender to our higher power that, um, you know, steps one, two, and three, you know, especially step three, like I said, for me in the beginning, um, being willing to stop uh, the bulimia, uh, you know, since that was the first step, and being willing to gain weight is how I looked at it. And I was like, okay, God, fine. If you want me to be fat, okay, I guess this is it. And you know what? It's like, but I just did what I was told. And um, I got a sponsor, but I went through a couple sponsors that um, – you know, before I found one that was a, a, a really good, solid fit, about two years into program, um, what I got out of this sponsor was every time I would call, this was a, you know, in, in OA they say in general stick with the same sex sponsors, but this was a gay male, so I figured it was safe. But um, I would call him and I'd be crying. I can't get abstinent, you know, with. It's like I kept taking sugar back. I so desperately wanted to be a person who ate all foods more moderately. Because I heard that, no way, oh, some people can do that. You know, I wanted to be one of those people. And I didn't want to admit to my innermost self that sugar is my alcohol. And just like for the alcoholic in the big book where they say, you know, that first drink, that's what sugar was for me. But it took me... Eight years of experimentation to try and just do it. And this is in program, you know. And and just it's such a sad, long, like in program, having commitments, sponsoring, sponsored, you know. And um, I just remember going to Serenity Sunday a lot. That was a regular meeting. And uh, people taking candles. And I felt so sad. It's Sometimes, to me, one of the loneliest things is when you're in the group and feeling lonely. That's a lonely, lonely thing. And um, and I never knew what my abstinent date was. You know, it was vague because I never it's like, well, am I abstinent? Well, aren't I? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, am I just being too hard on myself? Well, uh, you know. And um, finally, the day came. Um, well, oh wait, so what was I going to say about him? So when I call, well, well, why can't I, you know, get abstinent? And he would always put me to the literature, and that's what I was really grateful for. So he, and I brought, I bring this just because it's like little props. I have my AA 12 and 12 in my big book. But, like, one of my favorite memories is, you know, Mary Pat, open up to step three. Okay. And uh, step three in the AA 12 and 12. And he's like, okay, so read here, and it's like, what it, you know, because I'd be like, well, I'm trying abstinence. I'm I'm going to meetings. You know, I'm I'm doing the deal. And he'd say, okay, what does it say? Page 39. At first, if somebody is uh, his closest OA friend, he relies upon the assurance that his many troubles, now made more acute because he can't use food to kill the pain, can be solved too. Of course, the sponsor points out that our friend's life is still unmanageable, even though she is sober or abstinent, and that after all, only a bare start on OA's program has been made. 
more abstinence brought about by the admission of compulsive eating and by attendance at a few meetings is very good indeed. And they say, well, see, it's very good. But, and they say, that's a big but, but it's bound to be a far cry from permanent abstinence and a contended useful life. That's just where the remaining steps of the OA program come in. Nothing short of continuous action upon these as a way of life can bring the much desired result. And he'd say, what's that word? Nothing short of continuous action. What does continuous mean? And it's like, it's like this word game, but it really drove home. Oh, like I paid attention to the words that they used in this literature. And, um, you know, and continuous action. It's like, oh, it doesn't say, you know, sporadic action or, you know, once in a while when I feel like it. Oh, okay. But um, anyway, I thought what I got out of that kind of sponsorship was um, learning that the program is in the literature. And, um, you know, I, I myself identify hugely, hugely, hugely with the book Alcoholics Anonymous. I am the alcoholic with food. Um, the, the personality traits and quirks and the selfishness and self-centered, like that is me to core. And um, so it's been easy for me to identify. And uh, the 12 steps and 12 traditions of AA I just think is magic. And uh, when I read it, it just um, hits me on so many levels. And um, all right, so... When I got abstinent from sugar, it was, so January, how do I remember this? So, like, 9-11 was in 2001. So it was January 11th, 2002 is my abstinence date. And that was my last bite of chocolate cake. And uh, what happened was, um, so I have 14 years of uh, abstinent from sugar. And... Uh, what happened was I was uh, at a job. It was television-related, and I was in this period where I was yet trying one more time to just control the food, and I just could not string together, like, 30 days of abstinence of, of from compulsive eating. You know, thankfully, the bulimia wasn't an issue. That abstinence stuck, but this was, like, the next layer or the big layer of the onion, and... and uh, and what, I, what happened was, it wasn't even about the weight. My weight wasn't even the top, but I was being a B-I-T-C-H. And um, that's a not nice person. And, you know, to people at work, uh, I was biting people's heads off, and it would happen like 30 minutes after I would eat sugar, like clockwork. And then um, I was on a production, and they had craft services table, and, you know, I'd be sitting at my desk trying to concentrate, and it's like this thing, you know, pulling me like a tractor beam. And, you know, then I'd go, and it's just, you know, that, that crazy game. And, you know, I think back in terms of, like, work amends, you know, because how much, how much time did I steal from my jobs when by just the obsession, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And um, anyway, I got fired from that job, and there was uh, something... I can give you a great excuse of why, it's, you know, they were wrong and whatever. But I just thought, you know what, this is, you know, this is it. Um, whatever part my compulsive eating is playing and my to my emotional, um, you know, I just got, this is, I, I'm kidding myself. I am kidding myself. You know, sugar is, is going to kill me. And um, I went to a friend's house to commiserate that night. She served me cake, and I think I, like, and it was like, no, no. And then I ate the cake, and 
somehow, and why does it happen when it happens? Why does absence, we don't know when it happens, why it happens. It's a complete mystery to me. What's the difference between, you know, when I thought it was the last piece of cake like 18 other thousand times, and why does this one stick? I don't know. And that's the reason why we always have to stick around, you know, for the miracle, and keep, don't leave before the miracle happens, because you just never know when it's going to happen. And, um, but what struck me this time is, in the story of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talked about um, Dr. Bob, I think, was it his last b- beer? Yeah, something like his last bender, and, and he had an operation to perform or something, and, and so Bill gave him a beer <laughs> to perform the operation. And, uh, and, and in the big book, it says, that was June 10th, 1935, and da-da-da. And I was like, it hit me like clockwork, because I always said, oh, my gosh, I've got to start tomorrow. Tomorrow's my first day of abstinence. And this time was different. This time was like, no, my first abstinence is this day of that last, that bite of cake is January 11th, 2002. And, and one day at a time, I started to, I got that alcohol or sugar will kill me. Um, I got that, um, I had to treat it like recoil from it as a hot flame. I had to just like concede to my innermost self that, um, you know, because it wasn't about what other overeaters could eat or not eat in their abstinence. It was about what was killing me. And, um, and, uh, my inner self. So, um, and I, so, and there's a couple other, this is going to sound weird, but what works for me is, like, when I go into a restaurant, I, I picture skull and crossbones on. I picture poison like on sugar things, if I see a pie or something, poison, poison. And um, also, <laughs> I, I've said this before, but I, I kind of like it. But um, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, towards the end, when they're going to open the ark, and um, Marion and um, Indy, are, they're tied back to back, and Indy yells, don't look at it, Marion, don't look at it. Well, that's how I am with food at a, uh, when I go into restaurants and sometimes you pass that glass case, you know, that has stuff. Don't look at it. And, you know, it sounds goofy, you guys, but I really do think it helps. It helps. And then the other thing I thought I wanted to share about, you know, what it's like um, when one day at a time or one moment at a time you just don't take that, that first compulsive bite of your alcoholic food, um, yes, it can be really hard. People talked about the, the pain of, well, I forget how, what the cute saying is, but the point is that when I'm compulsively eating, um, it feels so good in that short moment, but then there's this long pain afterwards. And abstinence is sometimes it can be really painful to stay abstinent and really hard and take everything I've got. And, and, you know, any tool, getting to a meeting and, call, you know, calling someone, whatever I can do to just not eat compulsively. But then the, the peace afterwards, to not have the hangover, it, it's like, wow, it's so, so cool. And um, yeah, it's just been... You know, abstinence, it's just, uh, what's the other thing I want to share about 
So I always used to worry about dieting or fat-free this or whatever. But what I found is when I stopped eating sugar, when I just don't have desserts, so it's like I have three meals, dinner's it. And um, quite frankly, I just I'm, I found that I don't really jones for a dessert anyway. But when I wasn't having that, I could have butter on a something or have dressing. That It's like I didn't have to be so so strict with the food and I enjoyed my meals more so I don't know if that makes any sense but it, and, and I didn't gain weight you know from it it's like it, it was that was miraculous to me and um, it's like oh wow so to me there were like these added benefits of, of not having sugar one day at a time and um, um, I wanted to give a plug for the OA birthday party because um, the OA birthday party is the annual convention that Overeaters Anonymous celebrates. Um, there were so many years in my early abstinence when I was struggling, during those years especially, um, and I'll wrap up, uh, it, when I was just like kind of on, you know, a fringe and you, some, you know when you have like you, you have maybe not even one foot in, one foot out, where it's like maybe you only have a toe in to program and you could really sail off. And then I'd go to the OA birthday party and it saved my butt so many times. Um, it, it started with the Friday night um, play. It used to be a play all the time, uh, whatever they have. But the speakers, the marathon meetings, the... Um, what do I call seminars? I'm trying to think. Panel speakers, right. And um, absolutely, it was like getting a dose of recovery, like a shot of recovery in the arm. And so I just wanted to put that out there to anybody who's struggling. Um, well, don't wait till then, but it is, it's in January. And, uh, it's just a great, good plan. Make, you know, make the time, make the money for it. It's absolutely so worth it to recovery. So Anyway, um, I got the 10-minute mark, so I'm going to wrap it up there. And I'm just so grateful to this program. I'm in a struggling place now emotionally, but at least it doesn't involve food. And I know that um, the solution, the life solutions are here, you know, in Overeaters Anonymous in the 12 steps. So thanks for letting me share. So I guess, uh, does anybody have any questions? Oh, the hands. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciated hearing about uh, the Struggle Wellness Program. And I wanted to ask you about, I guess, kind of two things. Like, one, how did you see recovery in your life being in program but not being abstinent from sugar? Because in my mind, you know, when you're in program, you're still getting some recovery even if you're not abstinent. And then also, um, like, well, I'm not sure I understand. The first question was, how do I, when I was struggling, when I was struggling with the food, how did I see recovery? In your life, like, did you see things happening in your life? Oh, okay. How did I see things changing in my life, even when it wasn't absent? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, right. So, see, life isn't so black and white. Recovery isn't so black and white for me. Um, so, even though those... The years where I was struggling, it wasn't, there were times of abstinence, there were, there was, you know, maybe some emotional, maybe I was growing up in spite of myself, 
Um, specifically, what comes to mind is um, in the big book around page 100 or 102, it talks about um, like when you should or shouldn't go to um, an event. Because for me, it was like, oh my God, Thanksgiving, you know, it was always about, it was torture because, you know, and the big book, that section in the big book taught me that it's about thinking of others. It's about go see what you can give, not what you can get. Um, you know, but be sure you're on solid ground. And so I learned, I was learning how to show up at social events, how to have a plate of food instead of, you know, my face in the buffet all the time, how to get into people and get outside of myself. So there was, there, there was definitely recovery, emotional recovery, and, and uh, there was lots of time where the food, you know, I wasn't ever really binging the way I used to. My binges before a program were just massive. So I guess even in that sense that, so, yeah, it's like recovery is there, um, even in spite of, as long as we keep showing up, keep talking to people, and keep being honest, and uh, just keeping reaching out our hand into the canoe and having people grab us back in, so... The other part that I want to ask is if someone's struggling with sugar, but you know they're they're not able to put it down right now. Well, then what what would you think about if like for you I guess would it have worked to not have sugar on your abstinence, but like say you're abstinent from three meals and two snacks or something like that, and then adding sugar when you're ready? Or because in my mind, like not being able to stay abstinent for eight years is very painful. Or do you feel like you needed that to be able? Um, I think the question is, <laughs> let's see if I get it. Um, it was about not being abstinent from sugar. And does it make a difference if, um, you know, when should I add it? Or did I think I needed those eight years where I wasn't abstinent um, from sugar? I don't think I needed it, no. I think I was just not willing. I, I, wanted, I wanted recovery my way. I didn't want it God's way. I didn't want it the program way. I was trying to have my cake and eat it too, no pun intended. And um, no, I didn't. I didn't need it those eight years. Uh, I just was. It was my will. But um, yeah. Okay. I, you mentioned thank you. You mentioned you were struggling emotionally right now. How do you use the program to work through that? <sighs> I'm in process. I'm struggling emotionally right now, and uh, how do I use the program to work on that right now? Well, I um, taking the secretary uh, commitment at Serenity Sunday absolutely saved me. Uh, I had it for six months. We just turned over, but showing up, sitting up, sitting up, showing up, uh, it's got me out of my head. You know, that's what meetings are great for. And then outreach calls, um, reaching out. Um, you know, sponsor, but sponsor is one person, but there's other people, you know, God speaks to me through so many people. I spoke through Mickey tonight and uh, through Joni and Colleen and, you know, it just, uh, I just, as long as I'm reaching out and I just have to say I'm struggling with whatever the issue is. And for me, it's a, a work, work-related issue and feeling betrayed and and by golly, they said, what's your part? You sound like you're presenting yourself as a victim. I was like, what? You know, here I wanted sympathy. And it's like I have to look at, hmm, 
what am I presenting? You know, it's all, it comes back to me, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, the question was, I have obesity and, um, in my family, and, um, you know, how did my recovery impact that? I don't think it did. Um, I don't think it did. I think uh, I wanted it to. Um, my perception was, and I could be right or wrong, my perception was that I was always seen as the one with the problem. Um, but ironically, um, and so I had to let it be enough. I had to let program be enough for me and know that I couldn't change them. And I feel that very often it's, we don't change our family members. Sometimes God will speak through someone else in their lives. And, um, you know, I also I sh- should have mentioned I, I am in other programs now um, as a result of this program. And it's like this, you know, just touches on a lot of things. And um, my dad was able to 12-step my sister into another program. And, um, and she, you know, it's like AAOA isn't the only way. It's the only way for me. It's the last hospital block for me. I'm 100% clear on that. Um, but, no, they, uh, I don't think it was me that got recovered, but God works uh, through other people, so thankfully. Okay, my daily routine. Well, I was afraid that question would come. <laughs> she wants to know what's my daily routine. And the truth is I've been in this sort of obstinate period where, um, so what I do do uh, is I do make a morning call at 7 a.m. with another program person. We read a page out of 24 hours a day. What I'd like to do every day and what I'm doing a couple times a week, but it really works for me when I do it, so it makes no sense that I'm not doing this, right? It makes no sense that I don't do what's good for me, but what really works is when I take uh, a set of timer for 20 minutes, I... I like to go inside my closet. It's nice and dark, and I think it's funny going in the closet. But um, so I sit in my closet and meditate, and I just do the old, like, just clear my mind and just, like, God, okay, if you, you know, to me it's just 20 minutes that I try and give to God and not, you know, if something comes to my head, just try and forget it, whatever. And then um, I also start um, reading a, a, a grateful thing, getting some gratitude, and um, and trying to bring God into everything in my day. And then after that meditation, um, I get on my knees and say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer and the eleventh step prayer. And then say, God, please show me all through the day what my next step is to be. And I find when I do that routine, my day, lo and behold, like, tends to go pretty well. So that's something that works. Um, and time's up. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs>